Welcome to the All Souls Episcopal Parish in Berkeley's Sermon Podcast. Today is the second Sunday of Easter, and we hear from Michael Drell, one of our seminarians, as he preached from the lectionary, which was John chapter 20, verses 19 to 31. As always, you can find more information or more sermons from All Souls at our homepage, which is allsoulsparish.org. Good morning. Who was here last week? How did you embody the narrative of Holy Week? Did you handle and wave palm fronds? Did you wash feet on Monday, Thursday? Did you hold vigil at the altar of repose through the night? Did you attend the last word service? listening to our sisters and brothers in Christ relive, reflect, and offer their narratives? Did you join in with the veneration of the cross? Maybe kneeling, touching, kissing, and even adorning it with rose petals? And then how about the Easter Vigil in here? Wow, right? So those of us who can remember that wow obviously have no doubt in our minds that Christ has risen indeed. The resurrection makes perfect sense to us, right? (laughs) Well, for me, it isn't so simple. In the meantime, as is the case throughout the year and every year, the struggles and doubts of life creep in or sometimes smack me hard with their challenges to my believing over and over again. What can I see, and what do I believe? How do these two work together and against each other? There's just so much pain, fear, and injustice beating and battering us, both directly and indirectly. We are wounded by it all. Our world is wounded. Our world continues to wound and accumulate wounds. There's so much wounding going on, but often there is nothing of these wounds to see with our eyes. The narrative theory and practice of Michael White, whom I studied under at the Dulwich Center in Adelaide, Australia, holds an important concept for me called remembering. When a person recalls a figure that influenced their own narrative, The objective of the therapist is to encourage this story held by that figure's influence, help the client to remember their own narrative and restory their sense of who they are. These figures from our lives mark the relational junctions that make us who we are. Our relationships make each other. They can be human or more than human. They can be characters from fiction or film. They can even be biblical characters. What I realized through the process of reading, praying, and writing, as well as a fair bit of intense stressing over this sermon, was that my own process mirrored that of narrative practice. Figures and their stories entered my consciousness and vividly intertwined with this gospel and my own narrative. So allow me to illustrate this concept with a story about my neighbor, Don. 
Don worked as the state forensic pathologist in Tasmania, where I was living at the time. Don had lived in several cities around the world, but was originally from Alabama. He had grown up through the 60s in a society there that showed him all too clearly how Christianity is often weaponized to destroy lives by abusing souls and bodies. Though he'd consider his life devoid of religious faith, I realized through the several years of knowing him and our regular conversations that he was passionate about human dignity and the justice due all the dead. His entire vocation was centered around narratives and justice. He had devoted his professional life to acquiring the facts and data of a corpse which would tell the story of their death. So how does a story emerge from a corpse? Well, Don and his assistants would calmly examine and measure wounds. They would handle and weigh the organs. They would search throughout the body, collecting samples to evaluate and test. Now, why do I talk to you today about this? First, I need to return to the gospel to explain. Okay, so what have we got here? We have the resurrected Christ arriving to his disciples and saying peace before showing, him, before showing them his wounds. Then we have him saying peace again before explaining that they, and maybe we, are sent by him as the Father sent him. Then he breathes the Holy Spirit onto them and explain some stuff about forgiveness. So I read this as Christ arriving and saying, don't freak out, but here are my wounds. And again, don't freak out, but I'm sending you with the power of the Holy Spirit as I was sent. Moreover, he says that they and maybe we have the power to forgive. Not only a power to exercise at will, but we hold this power of forgiveness. We are empowered to do it, and if we don't, it doesn't get done. The sins are retained. But Thomas wasn't there, right? In fact, when he hears about this, he says he cannot believe without seeing, and goes into some detail about the marks of nails, and using his finger to touch, even putting his hand inside the spear wound. Now, it may be a bit of a cliche to say this, but I identify with Thomas. Thomas was a builder, or some say a carpenter, and I understand what it's like to not be able to see just with looking. If you want me to assess a horse's hoof, I need to pick it up and handle it, even run tools over it to get an idea of its form, function, and dimensions. I can't do all this with my eyes. Just the other day, our own Dan Carlson reminded me that the text doesn't explicitly say whether Thomas did indeed touch, but the connection between his perceived need and the offer by Christ is enough for me to identify strongly with this doubting apostle. What is certain from Scripture is that Thomas was wowed, and he exclaimed, My Lord and my God! His needs for proof were met with physical realities to ascertain. 
Christ invites him to touch his wounds. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. The point of the Thomas story for me is to say, if you can't believe and see the resurrected body of Christ all the time, and maybe you can't see him at all, you are not alone. I don't think this has to feel like any value judgment, just a state of affairs. Now there is a technique I'd like to introduce involving an examination of the wounds all around us in a peaceful manner, such as Don's forensic team investigations. Not in any efforts to understand or feel how we are involved emotionally. Simply, what is the story told by the material? How big is the wound? How much love of God can it hold? How much Christ can it sustain and be filled by? How much incorporation with other wounded bodies does this provide? It is unthinkable to me to forgive so much of what goes on. Forgiveness is sometimes unthinkable, and that's fine because we are coming from a different angle here. There is some mind power involved in this method, but it can be understood more as a focus and attention that actually takes us further from thoughts and closer to the wounds themselves and their dimensions. We can bring our mind into the process of sensation using imagination to ignite our entire nervous system to see, rather than relying on the limitations, distractions, and often re-traumatizing of the eyes and thinking as a sort of figuring out why or how. Maybe forgiveness can be knowable or sensed even when the thinking is still festering confused or stuck. There is a tendency for forgiveness to become confused with explanation and excuse. We rack our brains searching for explanations and we burden ourselves trying to excuse. The church is riddled with a history of pressuring victims to forgive and this work feels unjust and lonely. Expectations that there are causal factors for things and that everything works in a linear fashion is simply false and very isolating and damaging. This locates everything on the individual. Now I'm guessing you have wounds. Maybe you've inflicted wounds on others on this earth even in our normal participation in industrial societies and our first world consumption, this all wounds our world. We can see wounds all around us. We might exclaim, my God, but do we mean how could you, God, or come into this wound, God? We may be in situations where our own narratives and those of our homes and hearts lead us to these utterances of, oh God, how, why, why me, why them, what is happening? Do we want answers over action? 
Where are the wounded hands and feet and spear pierces and flesh all around us now? What direct work can we do to facilitate the flow of God's love into them? Can we exclaim with a call to God rather than interrogation? Can we exclaim with recognition and trust in what God can do next? How do, how do the avoidance of full encounter with ours and others' wounds hold us back from discipleship? Maybe there are wounds that affect our relationships and how we are able to love. Now, I'm not suggesting that you upset yourselves or let go of more than you are comfortable with. I'm suggesting you turn aside from the thinking attached to all this, letting go of the tasks of understanding associated with forgiveness. Turn towards assessments of quantity and volume. Now, if things distract you and cause pain and confusion that you need to discuss, we are here for each other in these tasks. There are Stephen ministers, clergy, spiritual directors, friends and family, further professional referrals, and here in Berkeley, countless support groups on all the specific themes that might be holding your narrative in festering wounds. We are praying alongside you here in this service and at other times during the week. So I suggest you let go of fear and try this physical approach. I promise that it works. I suggest you allow an encounter with the Eucharist today that imagines a filling of voids in your wounded body and the bodies of others throughout all of creation. Christ doesn't tell us that blessed are those who were born able to believe without seeing. He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. They did something to get to their state of belief. We aren't divided into those who are blessed with a miraculous ability and then those who doubt and are stuck without belief. Our blessedness comes through action, not passive belief as an instantaneous act, but as something we develop through encounter with wounds and our wow or awe at resurrection in spite of them. As Teresa of Avila suggests, our work is his. We are his hands and feet now. He has no body but us, and that body can be conceived of as incorporated by our work in love and the filling of wounds with attention and endless quantities of God's love. The love of neighbor and all the forgiveness, they emerge through this process, sometimes without any effort beyond our exclamations, calling out, oh God, my Lord and my God, not asking why or how, but a beckoning to come. 